Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. What we are doing here is trying to make it easier for people to cook food at home and sell it. I want everybody to think about that. That's something families do. That's something our loved ones do. That's something my family's engaged in. I acknowledge that a conversation about the separation of church and state should have began with a conversation. And for that, I apologize. Yesterday, I was at my VFW Mm -hmm. in Flagstaff, of which I'm a lifetime member, and I was the 2019 uh, Veteran of the Year. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we're in a battle for the soul of America, and we still are. That's why I'm running for re-election. Joining me this week to talk about it all are two political consultants from both sides of the aisle. We've got Chuck Coughlin here, a longtime political consultant here in Arizona and president and CEO of consulting firm High Ground and former state Democratic House leader and co-founder of Lumen Strategies, Chad Campbell. Thanks for both of you for coming in. I appreciate it. It's a delight. So we're going to start with that last one we heard there. We heard... Probably this is probably the biggest political story of the week, although honestly, oddly, it didn't it didn't feel like one. Right. Like President Biden announcing he's running for reelection. He did it in, as people do these days, sort of a video and not like a giant rally um, and announcement in that way anymore. And a message that sounded sort of similar to what we heard just there, this message about the soul of America, the same kind of thing he was talking about in 2020. So, Chuck, I want to begin with you here. I mean, not surprising that Biden ran for reelection or is going to run for reelection here. But. Was, what was your reaction to this kind of approach that he took here? It's sort of twofold. It's sort of fascinating that he, I don't think America really pays attention to his record because of all the noise that's going on out there. He's got a pretty good story to tell, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and, and so I think he's got to really work on that. And I think he worked that into this speech. But as you just mentioned, he went with the soul of America line because he's lining up again with the same type of challenge with former President Trump. And that really is a defining – David Brooks wrote a column in the New York Times today about that, which I thought was pretty compelling Mm. because he talks about, you know, the essential differences in the the men. Mm -hmm. Um, One is sort of a dog-eat-dog, let-it-all-happen world and, you know, it's a rough world out there and you're going to listen to me about it. And the other guy is sort of a humanist and, and wants to respect every individual regardless of where they come from. And so there's essential differences in their characters. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to lean on that a lot during mm-hmm. the election. So, Chad, coming from the Democratic point of view here, I mean, polling shows pretty pretty broad, like, not support for Biden. Lots of people saying we do not want Biden to run again on the Democratic side and the Republican side. But it still seems like he has a pretty good shot if it's a, a rematch against Trump. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think that's his calculation. Uh, I think you're going to see uh, kind of a repeat of, of the last cycle when it was Biden versus Trump, or even if it's DeSantis, it's still a very similar candidate in DeSantis. I mean, to Chuck's point about how you describe those two individuals, I could say you could apply that same definition or outlook to, to DeSantis as well. Uh, 
But but I, I do find he it just odd. hasn't been impeached three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no kidding. And it uh, does have multiple. And I was just saying, not court every day right now. Multiple right? convic- <laughs> or, uh, in- indictments. <laughs> but I mean, but I do think you know to Chuck's point though, uh, Biden does have a very compelling story to tell, and he's accomplished a lot, and a lot that's actually benefited Arizona. I mean. Mm. We're seeing a microchip plant being built on the north side of town here because of what Biden's done. We're going to, I think, get to the bottom of some of our water issues with the Colorado River allocation because of what Biden does over the next year and a half. Uh, I think Biden's going to have a very strong record to run on in Arizona. And I really think the negativity around Biden, and I hate to say this, is just people's perception of his age. I think Mm. that is what clouds a lot of people's visions. Uh, But I think once he's on that ticket, once he's matched up against, against Trump again or against DeSantis... Uh, the base will get behind him for sure. And I think those same moderate Republicans and independents will cross back over for him. Age is going to be a thing here. It already is kind of the, the talk of the of the campaign. It'll be if he wins this reelection, 86, I think, by the time he leaves office. That's it's up there. What do you think, Chuck? Does that make a big difference here in voters' minds? It's a it's a it's a statement about our entire political cast. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. it's two thirds of the Senate is like over 70. Um, and so you're like, holy moly. Uh, maybe something's wrong with our election system. Mm. Maybe something's wrong with the way we elect people. Uh, And maybe we should look at that. Uh, It's definitely going to be a discussion during the cycle. Um, Both gentlemen are very old. I mean, the big upset will be if Trump doesn't prevail. Mm -hmm. You know, if he loses Iowa again, like he lost in 16, which I could see easily happen. And if he loses New Hampshire, which, again, I could see easily happening mm-hmm. um, because those are really retail states. Those are not wholesale states. Hmm. And so you could see him losing. And if there's a big hole in the side of his boat when the Justice Department, you know, uh, ind- indicts him <laughs> again, uh, that's that's going to be a problem for the Republicans to swallow. Well, so, yes, lots of things that could change here, including Trump's sort of yes, you know, right. legal status. So uh, I want to talk, though, about Arizona, right? Like, is it true? Because this seems to be the, the prevailing political message right now. There are not very many true swing states left, and Arizona is, in fact, one of them. Yes. What are we in for, guys? Uh, it's going to be another crazy cycle. Uh, you know, the last three cycles have been crazy. This one's going to be crazy. We're going to have the presidential race. We're probably going to have... What I assume is going to be a three-way Senate race, which is mm-hmm. a whole other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, issue. Uh, we're going to be again one of the most expensive markets in the country, if not the most expensive political market. And if you're a voter out there, if you're a consumer of any type of media, get ready to be blitzed every day by campaign commercials on a nonstop basis, just continually. So be ready for it. I'm dreading it already. What do you, what do you <laughs> oh, come on, it'll keep you. It'll keep groups like this very occupied. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, this it's will be more security. fun. It's job security. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, so Chuck, if you look at that, so you look at maybe what are the other two? You got Georgia, Wisconsin, true swing states. Mm-hmm. Where does Arizona like land there? I mean, is it going to be the same issues on the table that we saw in 2020 if we have a Trump versus Biden rematch? I think so. I think those issues come back. I think immigration becomes a part of it. I think the House is getting ready to pass an immigration bill this week. Um, and see what the Senate does with that. Mm. If they do something with that, that'll be pretty monumental. Or if they don't, if they kick, if they punt. Um, So that will be a very interesting discussion uh, with immigration if immigration is on the table. But Chad mentioned water Mm. is a big issue out here. Housing is a big issue out here. All of these things that are national issues are playing out in the Arizona electorate. Yeah, we're sort of the poster child testing grounds for everything, it seems like. How does Biden being on the ticket, Chad, affect Democrats down ballot? 
Again, I, I think ultimately it's going to be helpful. I, mm-hmm. I think Biden's going to have a strong record to run on. I fully believe that. And again, there's some things that could change. Chuck's point, you know, we don't know where the economy will be a year from now. But again, let's say everything holds as it is today. I think he's going to be helpful. He he he's. I think he's really positioned himself as a centrist, a centrist, excuse me, mm-hmm. Democrat who's done a lot of things that affect everyday people, which is what people want to see. I think in elected officials nowadays, uh, they don't want to talk about tamales and Bibles all the time. Foreshadowing, we're, we're our, getting fu- there. foreshadowing <laughs> our future commentary. Wow. Uh, but but I, but, I, I, but I think he has a, a good tracker, good Chuck. Yeah, right? I, I, no, he does. That's and, my thought, and running so. against Trump, yes. I mean, Trump's lost in eighteen out here in the midterm in eighteen. Mm-hmm. He lost in twenty himself. Exactly. And he lost in the midterm in 2022. I mean, we've seen this play before. There is no reason to believe that if Trump's the nominee, that he can prevail in Arizona. Uh, and, and again, it's not just the presidential race. We've seen it in other races yeah. here in Arizona over the last two or three cycles, right? Again, yep. if you nominate a centrist, moderate type of candidate, which the Democrats have been doing a very good job of over the past couple cycles, you're going to win Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the key to Arizona elections are unaffiliated voters. Yep. Um, it will be approximately 28 percent of the fall electorate in this upcoming cycle in 24. Whoever wins a plurality of them, considering that both candidates should win 85 to 90 percent of their own party. Yep. Um, and so they win that. So it devolves into who the unaffiliated candidates vote for. And the unaffiliated candidates have not voted for a mega candidate since 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That hasn't happened. And so there's no reason to believe that would happen in this cycle. I do think there's one kind of factor here that could change everything, right? And it's the the R word, right? The recession. Like if there is a recession, does that change the conversation? And I mentioned that. The economy yeah. would be the, the thing that could flip this on yeah. or flip the script here. Yeah. If the recession kicked in over the next year, obviously all bets are off the table. Uh, you know, but we've also been hearing the recession talk now for two years. It hasn't mm-hmm. happened. Uh, I, and if it does happen, I think it's going to be probably not the traditional recession that we've seen in the past. Jobs are strong. Growth is strong. I mean, I think the big issue actually at the, here in Arizona, two things, and Chuck mentioned it, uh, housing is one and water, which we talked about a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things. And if you can navigate those, and again, recession doesn't come in or isn't that big a deal, I think we're still talking about the same type of mood amongst the electorate. I, I just am... I'm so sick and tired of economists playing political <laughs> figures. I mean, uh, I, I just am so exhausted by it. Uh, look, I mean, the economy grew by 1.1% in this last quarter. Mm-hmm. It's growing. It's not shrinking. Yeah, it's not a exactly. shrinking economy. It's going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any going to be any negative recession going on here. Um, they they all want to talk about that because it's all titulating stuff and yep. you know economists are paid skeptics mm-hmm. right and so they got to get on the air to be paid attention to they got to they got to they got to predict doom and so I just don't see it happening I, I I see a pretty resilient economy moving forward absent absent some debacle on yeah. the world stage and the like jo- a pandemic yeah and, and the job numbers the jobs China. numbers yeah. are so strong though and that's yeah. the, I mean the jobs numbers under Biden are the strongest we've seen in decades and I still think that's something he's going to really lean into as he starts to actually campaign. This is going to look very different, this campaign, than it did last time around, too. Because yeah. remember the last presidential campaign, we were still in the midst of COVID and, and oh, yeah. the pandemic, and Trump was sort of ignoring it, and Biden was not, and the, the, the campaign looked very different. Will we see more retail on the ground shaking the hands kind of campaigning from Biden? Oh, I absolutely believe so. Um, I, I don't, you know, we'll see how that transforms once the general election arrives. I don't think he'll do it during the primary. I think he's going to run sort of a, a basement, you know, the video campaign you talked mm. about. I think he'll do that. I think he'll be a largely 
electric. He's an incumbent now too. Yep. So he can control the narrative from the White House to a large extent. So he will use the White House bully pulpit to control the narrative and control what's being talked about. And so, you know, there's no need to go do that. But post-Labor Day, you bet. Yeah. I mean, he'll be out there because at that juncture, the choice is going to be clear. Mm -hmm. And as he says, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to my opponent. (laughs) And and that'll look pretty good for him, I would think. We have Chad Campbell here, former state Democratic House leader and co-founder of Lumen Strategies, alongside Chuck Coughlin, president and CEO of GOP consulting firm High Ground. Thanks to you both. Ready to go? Okay, so let's jump in. I want to begin with, I think, the story that's taken over the last two weeks of of political coverage (laughs) here in the Capitol. It's being called a food fight. It's the so-called tamale bill. Lawmakers came back from vacation, but they're going to take some more. It's been sort of a weird moment, but they're awaiting budget negotiations. They can't do a lot right now, it seems like. So there's been a lot of talk about this. Um, House Republicans tried to get Democrats to uh, join them to override Governor Katie Hobbs' veto of a bill that would have expanded the kinds of foods that can be sold um, that were prepared in home kitchens like tamales, right? So, Chad, they failed to get enough Democrats to join them on this one. But it, it, it looked like for a minute they they might get enough Democrats to do this. W- what's the concern? Was it scary there for a moment? Uh, no, I, I don't think there was any realistic threat that that was going to happen. I, I think there was, you know, the, the typical type of uh, leverage and posturing, things like that by people. And, and, I, and I understand there's, there's a lot of people that are very uh, upset about the way this all happened, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that... Ultimately, what you see in these types of cases uh, is, is eventually people will calm down. I know that the governor's already working on finding an alternative solution mm-hmm. to what is going on here and trying to find a way to address the underlying issues without maybe having to do it through a bill process. Maybe there's some administrative stuff that can be done, mm-hmm. come back with another bill later on. Uh, but, you know, the thing that's most concerning to me about this, it, it's the typical we, typical type of political scenario where there's some legitimate concerns on both sides of the aisle and, yeah. and, 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 the, and, and at the governor's level, the ninth floor. But there's also these outside groups that are just trying to leverage this for their own political gain. No. And, uh, no, I know. Shocking, <laughs> right? And so it, it's kind of really, I don't want to say poison the well. That's too strong a word. But it's diverted from the real issue at hand. And I know that the governor and her team want to get back to the real issue at hand. I know a lot of the Democrats do. I'm sure some of the Republicans do. So I think at the end of the day, cooler heads will prevail. They'll all come together and figure out a solution to this. I call it the the legacy of Jake Hoffman uh, because, you know, he torpedoed the DHS secretary or the, the head of the department. They initially uh, filed as uh, neutral on the bill, the Hobbs administration. Mm-hmm. You would see that that p- policy position being emanated normally from DHS. There was clearly Public some issues. Concerns, right. right, right. Uh, there's, there's clearly some issues here. Um, and they weren't, are, they weren't articulated and they weren't worked on. And, you know, there's a failure on the part of the administration, the executive to work internally. And now he's, I think what Jet's saying is true. They're going to try and work those things out. It should have happened um, in a, I would guess two years from now, it would happen, Mm. you know, as she gets more of her sea legs underneath her and more of her people in her departments and there's more fluidity between the executive and the the departments. But it is what it is. They'll fix it. Mm. And we'll have tamales. <laughs> so, yes, there are solutions on the table that are going forward. But, Chad, we should say you you worked on Governor Hobbs' transition team. What do you think this says about all the chatter about her, you know, her position as the, the head of the party and whether or not she can keep her caucus in line? 
again, I don't want to read too much into it. Uh, this was a kind of interesting bill. Uh, you know, it, to Chuck's point too, there's a lot of there's a lot of growth to be had here. Uh, within the agencies themselves, yep. and, and mm. again, not just from the administration, but let's keep in mind too, you have four new sets of leaders at the Capitol as well. Mm. Every caucus has new leadership. You have a new person on the ninth floor in Governor Hobbs. So a lot of this is about feeling each other out too. We're going to see this in the budget process over the next four or five weeks here as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't want to read too much into it. I don't think it's an indication about about the efficacy of Governor Hobbs and or the leadership in, in the House or the Senate. Uh, I think this is one of those weird instances where there was some miscommunication, uh, some some uh, misinterpretation of certain things. And like I said, <laughs> I think it's going to be fixed one way or another, ultimately. All right. All right. So another kind of oddball story out of the Capitol this week. Democratic Representative Stephanie Stahl Hamilton was caught on camera hiding the Bibles in the members lounge in the House. Um, it was what she called a, a playful commentary on the separation of church and state. But this really blew up this week. And as we said, it's sort of an odd moment at the Capitol. Chad, you spent a lot of time at the Capitol. Have there always been Bibles in the members' lounge? Uh, first and foremost, actually, <laughs> what I really want to know, have there always been cameras in the members' That's lounge? The that was, that was That's the first the thing. Uh, that was news to me. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think there were always, yeah, I think there were a couple Bibles in the House lounge when I was down there, if I remember correctly. I think they've been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, I, I really didn't pay that much attention when you're in the lounge, usually you're still working actively, meeting with fellow members, meeting with other people, stakeholders, things like that while yeah. you're on the yeah. floor at the same time. Uh, you know, this is a weird incident. I, I don't know really how to describe it. Uh, <laughs> I think this shows that maybe we have too much time on our hands down there right now. And, and there's this lull because of these open seats and not much is happening. So it, it's a weird incident. I, I hope that everybody can move on from this and, and get back to focusing on what matters, which is passing good policy. What do you make of this, Chuck? Like, is there a real issue of separation in church and state here? Like, this made me think of, you know, when I've been at the Capitol, there's always an opening prayer. It's usually a Christian prayer. There have been, you know, debates about that in the past. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is a foolish debate. Uh, it is a product of uh, idle hands down there in a, I think, an admittedly poor decision on the part of the member uh, to not handle this appropriately. If she had issues with it, she could have easily brought it up on the floor, made a point about it, maybe an erudite point instead of hiding Bibles under the cushion or in the refrigerator. In the refrigerator. You know, that, that's probably not the most erudite way to air your grievance and or your concern. Mm. Um, she, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, this has been an age-old debate in American politics. You go back to Jefferson and the Constitution and all of these things. So, you know, we can have a discussion about that, but not by hiding Bibles. That's not a, a thoughtful way. But as Chad points out, the funny thing here is they actually put a camera in the members' lounge, which has never had a camera in the members' lounge. And unbeknownst to uh, apparently Miss Hamilton, uh, you know, busted red-handed uh, on it. And so that's an amusing story, too, about the age of media and cameras everywhere. And cameras yeah. everywhere. Watch yes. for it, right? You're being seen. All right. So let's move on to a story that is a little more substantive then, right? You mentioned, Chad, that there are still short representative in the GOP caucus there in the House. Uh, in the, yeah, because of the Board of Supervisors right now hasn't announced a replacement yet for GOP representative Liz Harris, who was ousted after an ethics complaint. This was back on April 12th. Uh, she invited a woman to testify, I should say, who who uh, essentially accused lawmakers of being part of a criminal plot and then allegedly lied about that to her colleagues, which is why she was ousted. Now, she is actually on the list of replacements that the Board of Supervisors is considering. But there seems to be a little bit of, you know, what's taking so long kind of questions out there. Chuck, is it taking longer than normal? No. 
Uh, it's not taking longer than normal, but it, the reason why we feel that way is again because it's a one-seat majority. So, mm. so the Republicans can't do business now. So they're on a two-week break uh, while they get a new appointment. Uh, I think we were talking yesterday. We we are aware that Mr. Toma himself was appointed by the Board of Supervisors to replace somebody. His appointment took about two weeks from the time that that list got down there. So here's the other things that are being discussed. Yeah, is Miss. Harris' uh, inclusion in that name, legal. I mean, yeah. is that legal? It, can they send that back? That's a question. That's that's a been being discussed. Mm. Um, in exchange uh, for uh, a lot of things, there's a lot of tension right now between Maricopa County and and the legislature on <laughs> like Prop 400E. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a question on the extension of the half cent sales tax, which the governor Ducey vetoed. Is there some give and take there? Mm-hmm. Um, is there some give and take perhaps on the statute itself? Um, Andy Kanasik changed this statute way back in the day to make the um, PCs the uh, avenue of of only appointment. Is that right? Is that right? Should should the PCs be the only ones or should they have an obligation to recommend a list? And should other people be able to compete? Mm. Um, and should there be a timeline on that? Mm. I mean, there's all kinds of discussions going on about you know, you want an appointment? Well, here's some questions we have to resolve. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and we should say, Chuck, you do a lot of work with the county, which I is did. why we're getting an insider. So, so I'm, I'm aware <laughs> of my colleagues' consternations yes. over these yeah. things. But but I think, you know, but to Chuck's point, I mean, there's a lot of different levers that can be pulled here and a lot of different people trying to manipulate those levers for probably their own interests, vested interests, whatever it may be, uh, political agenda, policy agenda, whatever it is. Uh but, you know, but I think also just the bottom line, too, is I think the, my guess is, at least from what I know, the supervisors aren't that thrilled with the names they got. Putting aside Liz no. Harris, the other mm. two names are also people who I would say are on more of the fringe side of the, the Republican spectrum these days when it comes to election denialism and things like that. So, you know, this is a case, I think, of, of they're looking at this replacement and are they just going to even if it's not Liz Harris, they can just put somebody back in there that's going to be just Liz Harris light or Liz Harris 2.0. And what does that end up getting you? You know, and, and to Chuck's point, there's some conversations that are going around about do we need to fix the system of how these appointments work and mm. et cetera, et cetera. I don't can ultimately the PCs are the people on the ground in these districts that are the active members. They're the ones who sent the appointments. And the, yeah, the precinct committee people. And, and you know, and they're more actively involved in the county soups. And you, you, you can't let the legislature pick their own replacement, things like that. So I don't know if there's a solution well, there. I think it used to be that they'd appoint a committee. Yeah, they would. appoint and, a committee and, and the supervisor the would, uh, approved that, uh, I think, would, right? would accept nominations yeah. and then the committee would send a list and the super to the board it. And, the, and the board would right? pick off. Yeah. So it has yeah. changed a little bit. Okay. Yeah, so anyway. Oh, sorry. So last, yeah, yeah, last minute or so here. I want to ask you both sort of predictions here. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Are we going to be waiting a lot longer? Or are there going to be sort of negotiations happening about who, <laughs> what those candidates look like? If you could see Chuck's face right now <laughs> from the radio. <laughs> I think I my, my instinct is they'll get an appointment. Uh Soon. I don't think it's going to be next week. I think it may be the following week. Um, and they also have a Democratic appointment yeah, to make. That's a, um, the Senate appointment to make. And that and that may result in another House appointment yes, because two gonna, of the yeah, members that are nominated for that are senators. That's or, what I say. My guess House is members. once they appoint the Republican, you're going to have the Dem appointed in the Senate and you're maybe going to have another opening in the House on the Dem side, which will lead to another appointment process. But that's but not debilitating quicker. to the mm-hmm. process yeah, and they'll because be – 
the back what everybody misses about this discussion is the fact that the Republicans can't vote on yeah. anything yeah. until they get this appointment exactly. replaced. And, and we're waiting on that. All right, we'll leave yep. it there. That is Chuck Coughlin, president and CEO of High Ground, Chad Campbell with Lumen Strategies. Thanks both for being here. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.